0: You're listening to Vaguely Local, where we look at the vicinal while leaving latitude for variety. I'm Nick McNamara. Thanks for checking out this first episode. In this project, I'll be speaking with guests from around the Manhattan area and beyond, focusing on people and issues, and occasionally more far-flung folks about their perspectives as situated in their local contexts and experiences. This episode, I spoke with a pair of guests on a common topic, that being the City of Manhattan's partnership with the Black Entrepreneurs of the Flint Hills as part of the National League of Cities City Inclusive Entrepreneurship Program, announced locally in December of 2022. The program is an effort to address inequity faced by entrepreneurs of color as they seek investment and to improve economic mobility for historically marginalized communities. Now in its fourth year, with hundreds of local partners, Black entrepreneurs of the Flint Hills founder and CEO, Sheila Ellis Glasper, joined me on Zoom to discuss what this will look like in Manhattan. And I started off asking about the impetus for her creating the organization just a few years back.
1: Our organization exists to close the racial wealth gap through entrepreneurship. And some folks um, who may not know what the racial wealth gap is, in America, white families make um, in their actual wealth, over 10 times more than that of black and Hispanic families in the United States. And that is a pretty wide gap. And it's a very you know big statistic to look at and refer to when we're talking about economic development um, in particular. And so our organization exists to close the racial wealth gap through entrepreneurship um, we believe that entrepreneurship and ownership is a pathway or gateway um, to wealth. and but we also know that because of the lack of access to capital um, that our businesses experience, um, that also creates some disparities when it comes to, um, just being able to access capital to grow our businesses. Um, so our organization has engaged in a lot of advocacy work and education here in the Flint Hills area, um, talking with uh, economic development director. Um, and we serve the Riley, Pottawatomie and Gary counties um, through our organization. And we have over 100 members in the organization um, as well. And so, yeah, we we exist to help to close that racial wealth gap. Um, our purpose is to empower, equip, and engage Black business owners in the Flint Hills with resources to build stronger and more effective businesses so we can make a positive impact on our community.
0: Looking around the country, there's a variable amount of impact on the Black entrepreneurial ecosystem coming out of the pandemic. I believe, though, your organization cites a 28% higher corpus of Black-owned businesses, at least as of the third quarter of 2021. With that in mind, I'm curious, what's your perspective on the state of Black-owned business in the city of Manhattan, both historically and how it's changed into today?
1: And so I believe the stat you're referring to is, a it is a national stat. Okay. Uh, we're building our data out, our data set out for our organization um, with our membership, um, But unfortunately, there isn't really great data on the state of Kansas when it comes to Black businesses or minority businesses at that. Um, And it's definitely an effort that we're involved in statewide. Um, When you look at national statistics, our region definitely still mirrors that of what you see nationally. Um, We have K-State and Fort Riley, which makes us a very transient community. Our demographics um, aren't always uh, as accurate because we have people coming and going. So it definitely um creates a, a little bit of a challenge, I think, when it comes to demographics, um, especially looking at, you know, the BIPOC community here. Um, but as far as that increase number goes, there are a lot of contributing factors to that. I think number one, um, the pandemic forced businesses to figure out how to to do business digitally. Um, it opened some opportunities. It took away um, some of the startup costs that would traditionally be associated with opening a business. People were looking more to digital Um, in opening their businesses and and how they operate. And so I think that was a a definite stat that um, impacted that national, or that's a a factor of how that national stat was impacted. I think also um, just the increase of support um, because of George Floyd's murder um, and the Black Lives Matter movement, Uh, there was definitely a push to support Black-owned businesses there were a lot of national companies um, and organizations that were coming to the forefront um, wanting to support black owned businesses through grants, um, through different types of programming. So we saw a lot of that, um, that we historically had not seen in the past, but even still with all that support, there were a lot of businesses and my mentor, Makisha Booth, who's the founder of Sistabiz Global Network, um, she always says, and this is something you'll hear a lot too, is that um, when America catches the cold, the Black community catches the flu. And so, when it came to the pandemic, um, the PPP loans that were supposed to help businesses stay open um, drastically did not help us because more than 90% of black owned businesses do not have an, an employees or payroll. A lot of them are operating as sole proprietors, potentially maybe working with contractors, maybe family help, volunteers to just kind of help with the business. A lot of us are solopreneurs, you know, and so or without a, a large staff. And so with that came the PPP where you had to, you were getting funding based off of your, um, payroll basically. And when you don't have that payroll, then your business, you know, you weren't qualified. And so those funds kind of slipped through a lot of our, uh, fingers. And so, um, that's the reality, you know, of the, of COVID and the pandemic and how it impacted, um, black owned businesses,
0: As we move out of this pandemic, you mentioned there's the racial wealth gap, but there's also a gap in efforts to help uplift businesses as we move out of the height of COVID-19. With this new partnership through the NLC's City Inclusive Entrepreneurship Program, do you see this as a way to make up sort of from a lack of support from PPP and other things like that?
1: I think the NLC work is definitely a great start. Um, Back in October, our organization um, hosted an event called Black and Bankable. um, And it's a program um, that we uh, partnered with SisterBiz Global Network. I've mentioned um, Makisha Booth. Um, She is a nationally recognized um, trainer, a business trainer, when it comes to working with um, Black-owned businesses, uh, Black women-owned businesses in particular. And so with that Black and Bankable event, we were able to um, partner with um, different organizations like the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce, Network Kansas, um, Kansas Black Leadership Council. And we were able to bring bankers to the table, um, some local banks, some um, national banks to the table to talk with our Black entrepreneurs and what does it look like to access capital um, what are they looking for um, as far as what they want to loan funds, you know, to when they're um, going through that process, um, and like what are some of the collateral and credit um, and things building relationships with bankers? So we got to talk um, directly with bankers about access to capital and you know we're talking about statistics um 8 out of 10 black owned businesses will fail within the first 18 months um that is a stat that is a very real stat and if there's not culturally competent business resources and trainings available um you know it's you know falling in that number um becomes you know easier um then also Black-owned firms are denied loans twice as often as white businesses. And so when you look at those stats um, and we found out about the NLC work, um, we knew that it was something that our organization was already positioned to take up that work. Um, And then to be able to partner with the city of Manhattan on that work um, and have the city of Manhattan actually sign a commitment to Black entrepreneurship um, this body of work is going to allow us to not only, you know, publicly show the support of the city for the work that's being done, but also connect us to resources outside of the area. We're working with a firm called Collapse Capital, um, out of out of Atlanta, Georgia. And they specifically fund Black owned businesses um, and Black founders. And so part of our work with the NLC is being able to collect data from Black founders that are in high growth um, industries on what do they what do they need when it comes to access to capital? Um, what are some of the challenges that they've experiencing experienced trying to find um, and get access to capital? And then also um, data being collected from our banking and financial institution partners. Um, and so we're going to be collecting data from them as far as, you know, what are the challenges that you have as a financial institution in funding Black founders, um, trying to get uh, some set some benchmarks as far as what is the common knowledge um, that these financial institutions actually have when it comes to funding Black founders, um, and even ideas on how to work together to maybe create um, non-traditional types of funding because as we for, when we first started talking we talked about the racial wealth gap um that's a very real issue when you're looking for funding in your business one of the first questions you get is well do you have family and friends funding um to start your business well if you're dealing with the racial wealth gap where your fam- our families you know aren't bringing having the amount of money, whether it whether it's because of discrimination and people, um, you know, had jobs, but they were just in survival mode and so never made that real amount to be able to pass on wealth to their children. Um, whatever the case may be, we're not coming in on an equal playing field when it comes to assets. And banks and financial institutions need to have an understanding of that Um, And working with our founders and knowing that we still have very viable businesses and business plans um, that can make a positive impact, you know, when it comes to economic development in our areas. Um, But, you know, there's the very real um, challenges and issues that we deal with when it comes to accessing capital.
0: Yeah, I think that's an important part to note, especially, you know, you look at that history of redlining and loan discrimination, it prevents the possibility of having generational wealth that, you know, would enable those families and friends to provide that startup capital that maybe more white owned businesses are just sort of take for granted in a way.
1: Very true, very true. And it's really the foundation of um, the work that we do. Um, And any partners that we bring up, bring along with us on this journey, because um, if they can't understand that simple, basic, you know, very practical, you know, information about the racial wealth gap, then they're not going to understand the organization and and why we exist. Um, So it's a very important piece uh, to the work that we're doing.
0: And you know, this is a partnership that includes the city of Manhattan. And I'm curious from your perspective, what you might expect out of the city to support the project and what you're envisioning their role in it all might be.
1: For sure. So the city is, their their main role is to support the, the work that we're doing with the NLC when it comes to um, being able to capture this data. So um, the city of Manhattan um, in black entrepreneurs of the Flint Hills committed to the ownership and optionality program. Um, that's through the national league of cities. We are also the only city in the state of Kansas that is engaged in this work with NLC. Um, so that's a pretty interesting um, fact. And so being a part of the city inclusive entrepreneurship program, it really does uh, solidify the work that we're doing um, the city is on board um, as far as supporting the work, and but this is really just a beginning stage of what the work will continue to be and continue to look like. Um, it's really like a foundational um, start for us. The city is also going to be engaged in um, helping connect us to resources when it comes to financial institutions for the um body of data that we're collecting from financial institutions and also just there to support um, and get an understanding on what um, Black entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs of color really um, what challenges we deal with when it comes to growing our businesses here in the Flint Hills area and ways that we can create solutions um, for those challenges together.
0: And as you look around Manhattan, and it's no outlier in this regard, but there's often this big disconnect between institutions like cities and not just Black-owned businesses, but Black people in general. How do you think this partnership can perhaps start bridging that gap in terms of communication in supporting this growth?
1: So, again, I think that it's it's a fun foundational start for us. We are a rural community. You know, by population, we're considered rural And I think when you think of rural areas, there's already a lack of resource. Um, And then you couple that with being, you know, um, a Black business um, that already there are disparities um, that we're dealing with. It really kind of compounds, um, you know, being a Black entrepreneur in a rural area, uh, when you look at our counterparts in urban, more urban areas, there are more resources. And so really, um, that is, you know, there's some work that has to be done in our region to really catch up um, to some of the places that we're competing with uh, when it comes to talent Um With Black Entrepreneurs of the Flint Hills, we have our four R's or kind of like our our foundation to the work that we do. And it's uh, recruitment, retention, resources and recognition. Um, And so when it comes to the recruitment and retention side, uh, we know that the organization is already serving in in a capacity where we have a Black business directory. um, Had never been done here before. And we have over 100 Black-owned businesses that are listed in our directory um, for people to be intentional about their support. And through that directory, it's been widely distributed across the city, um, the cities and the counties that we serve. And it allows people a way to connect. So when you're looking at the recruitment side of things, um, we've had black faculty and staff come to K-State. And one of the first things they get is our directory. And we work with the Black Faculty and Staff Alliance at K-State. Um, because people need there are real essentials that people need to know where to go to get their hair cut, uh, where to go to get some food that's familiar, you know, that's um, you know, a part of the culture. They need to know where the child care is that's diverse so that their child's not the only one. Um, those are some real, you know challenges that Black people navigate when they move to this area. And our organization has created a solution to that with the Black Business Directory. Um, But then also on the retention side, a lot of the advocacy work and what we're doing to advocate for um, the resources that are culturally competent, not just any, you know, um, training you know, when you're talking about the racial wealth gap, you're talking to about the challenges that we face accessing capital. When you are trying to train someone uh, with business training, you have to be able to understand that that is a challenge and then understand how to navigate around that when it comes to growth strategies in your business, knowing that these are the challenges we face. And so part of the NLC work is that we would also have access to some trainings um, that are available, and then also be able to make contacts with um, financial institutions like uh, Collab Capital um, that specifically work with Black founders. So um, our goal is at the end of this work that we would be able to connect some of our our, um, local Black businesses with funding opportunities And then also just create more awareness um, with our local banks and local founders on the work that's being done to bridge the gaps.
0: The program's getting underway, I believe, December 19th. The partnership was announced. What's next in getting the ball rolling?
1: So the next steps is really the data collection process. So we're in the midst of that now. Um, getting surveys back, being able to submit that information over to um, our partner, Collab Capital. Uh, we're also partnering with other cities. And so we're a part of a cohort where, you know, we are a part of the conversations and the work as far as learning what other communities' um, challenges are challenges are when it comes to accessing capital for Black entrepreneurs and some of the solutions that they have created In their cities. So, Oklahoma City is one of our cohort members, Pearland, Texas, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, So, we are a part of a cohort um, that we have some cities that are very um, more mature in their journey when it comes to funding Black entrepreneurs and um, economics uh, and economic development for people of color in their communities. And so, That is really what we're involved in now and engaged in. um, And then being able to schedule and plan some trainings for this year, um, that's going to help our entrepreneurs to be able to level up.
0: And if people want to get in touch, where should they go?
1: Definitely visit us at blackflinthills.com. And you can connect with us there. We have Circle of Community. That's a membership level For businesses or organizations that want to um, become an ally of the organization and partner with us in the work that we're doing, Um, as well as on social media, we're on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and Instagram at Black Flint Hills.
0: again to Sheila Ellis Glasper of the Black Entrepreneurs of the Flint Hills. While the focus of the program's goals, the City of Manhattan also serves an important partner in the National League of Cities initiative. As such, I reached out to City Commissioner Linda Morse, mayor at the time of the partnership announcement, to understand how the city got into the mix and who the main players were in getting involved in this work.
2: I got an email from the National League of Cities because I happened to be mayor and uh, I sent it to several people um and said you know we uh, because also a year ago there was a diversity equity and inclusion study that was completed in december of 2021 and uh, with the current city commission um, we haven't really taken any steps to implement any of the recommendations. so let's put it that way so i got in touch with the city manager and uh uh, thought that this was something I could do as mayor. And with uh, the city's, um, you know, support, uh, wouldn't be, we're not, it's not costing us a lot. It, it, if anything, we're it's our time and the city is, uh, Ron Fear wrote a letter of support for the project that we turned into the National League of Cities. And there are a number of different tracks in that program. I was attending the National League of cities conference in Kansas City already because how often does the National League of Cities come to Kansas and or Missouri either at that close? And so I I had signed up and said I want to go. So then when I got this, I thought, well heck, I'm going to that conference anyway. I want to do this. And there was a special pre-meeting and another meeting within the League of Cities for the for the cities that are were applied for this. And, and we were, accept- you have to apply to the Kauffman Foundation. And we were accepted. We sent a, uh, an application, had to be in by September something. The conference was in November. And uh, uh, the, for the Black entrepreneurs of the Flint Hills, Sheila was the one who attended. And so she and I um, attended the kickoff. And all of the cities that were involved in this project attended. And of course, let me just say that there are different tracks. So there were only about two cities there that are following or doing the track we're on, which is uh, the the, the Black Entrepreneur uh, and uh, uh, the others were following, you know, doing other projects, other themes. And so um, we got the support of that K-State Innovation Center, Stephanie Pierce is our uh, key person there, and the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce uh, with Darren Solden. And you know, I think that the Chamber of Commerce has uh, been having an effort to grow, to help uh, support the uh, Black entrepreneurs of the Flint Hills. And so I know it's, it takes a lot of time on the part of their leadership, and it takes time away from their business. Just think about what they're doing, the time they have to spend trying to do, juggle both. But at any rate, this offer uh, required us to attend the conference in Kansas City and the, the CIE uh, part of it. And we had to commit to developing a project uh, for um, by a certain date. And there's a, someone in the Kaufman Foundation that is serving as the coach, I guess, or mentor for us. I haven't been working with that person so much, but certainly Sheila and Dr. Crystal Davis and uh, uh, Doug Barrett are, I'm sure, uh, to figure out a project. And, and uh, the, the project they have uh, uh, identified is the uh, ability of African-Americans, business people, to access capital. And uh, I'm sure that that's a tussle and has been for a long time. So uh, the, the project is to go to visit with each of the banks here in the next month or so, because it has to be finished here before long, another six weeks or so. And I interview them and just talk about this project and about the possibility of them committing some funding. For black entrepreneurs, this will be on an individual basis, not a part of this project. The other thing is that the Kaufman Foundation is offering fit the uh, this uh, project fifteen thousand dollars, and so I think that the black entrepreneurs are sorely underfunded, and so my that's why I was so excited about this f- fifteen thousand dollars. I don't know; I haven't seen the plan for what are doing with it or going to do with it but you know we're all on board to be supportive it's all i can say um and it, it but it had to be a city that applied for it uh, because it was under the nlc sponsorship so we we fit and you know there are you look at opportunities sometimes and you say dang there's one thing we can't we don't need and so, this in this instance, it worked out, and I was thrilled. Uh, but the city did write a letter, Ron Fear, as city manager, wrote it, and he and I both signed it to um, support the project. It's not costing the city anything, but it is an indication of our support for helping some of our a segment of our citizens that are not included in all the other programs we have f- to f- help somebody you know the whole emphasis we hear so much about small business and entrepreneurs but there's that segment isn't uh, always uh, well represented or well uh, included so I, I think if you have a foothold then they'll help you. But man, if you're starting out from scratch, you know what it's like to be on the on the bottom uh, and and wishing and hoping and and hoping somebody comes along and adopts you or gives you a thousand dollars or some out.
0: So, as you mentioned, there, okay. the city is a partnership with the Black Entrepreneurship Group, uh-huh. given the focus of it and the NLC sort of uh, component. Yep. That seems like a great marriage. I'm curious, though, how these other organizations got involved. You mentioned the Innovation uh-huh. Partners and the Chamber. Uh-huh. And I'm just curious how maybe some of that culminated as well and um, how they played a role in making this happen.
2: So, I think that the Chamber has been fostering the Black entrepreneurs and nurturing them. And I don't know that they brought money it's kind of like uh, the young professionals maybe although I think the chamber invests in them but anyway so I wanted to bring money to the table for this group and uh, so that uh, so the chamber and I was uh, Ron and directed me to Darren solden of course and he knows everybody everywhere so and he should <laughs> he's the perfect person to tap into when you want to know something and um, the innovation partners, I think that they came to mind. They were interested. Let's put it that way. They were eager. And Stephanie Pierce actually did more than just be interested. She was the one who got in touch. She said, Linda, because being mayor, how much? I don't have a lot of time. She said, would you like me to get in touch with the... Uh, Kaufman Foundation or follow up on this and get more information. I said, Oh, Stephanie, would you? She talks, she's economic development. She talks that language too. I have to tell you, it is a, a there's a certain language <laughs> associated with economic development. And uh, uh so she uh, made the connections and got us started. We had to attend two webinars and I think I missed one of them, but I think Crystal was there. And um, so it took we wanted this to be a real partnership, not just city of Manhattan off by itself, but with these other, these two other strong partners, I, I couldn't think of even one more that was a strong. I felt like these were the three that mattered and for this project and we're to fifteen thousand dollars and but I, I just uh, think that we're we're doing a good thing and' I'm, it's a first step. I hope that it bears fruit. It has to. I mean, they're going to be doing this survey of uh, banks. I mean, think about the labor of doing that. That's why I told Sheila the other day, if you need me at a bank, let me know. (laughs) I'll come. (laughs) I have more time now, you know, Nick?
0: Specifically the group. You all, uh-huh. or the the track, I suppose you all uh-huh. ended up picking, is looking for solutions to increase venture capital investment for black-owned startups. I don't, and-
2: I don't, I don't know if it's venture capital so much as capital. I, there's another word besides well, venture. Well, fair implies venture implies high risk, mm-hmm. and so as far as I'm concerned, you know, a bank would really weigh a proposal and a and, a, and an applicant. And not, and it wouldn't be that high risk, but Mm. anyway. You're right. It, so it I'm would, curious a little bit about sort of
0: how you see this as being a main priority in the area. You know, as I talked with Sheila yesterday, she mentioned there's a racial wealth gap here, and not just uh-huh. Manhattan, but the country as a whole. And when you look at loans and the ability to acquire loans and capital investments into black-owned startups, it's kind of a two-to-one deficit there in terms Absolutely. of rege- in terms of rejections. And I'm curious mm-hmm. just sort of how you see this as a as a way to begin turning the tide a bit on some of that racial wealth gap we experience?
2: Well, I just think it's a beginning for us here in Manhattan. I can't tell you that it's we're going to slay dragons, but um, where there has been nothing happening, this is an opportunity. And maybe, you know, maybe if this is successful, we can continue it. Uh, maybe a local bank will sponsor or a collection of banks might. But the Kaufman Foundation committed a hundred million dollars to this project, and some of it is a lot of it is organizational. Like they've hired hired people and through these coaches, and uh, but they don't they're not working much with the city, but they're working with the black entrepreneurs. So uh, I haven't, uh, as mayor, I haven't spent much time with them because I just can't mm-hmm. couldn't, but I. I have more time, and I want to. Um, it says that the purpose is to help cities adopt policies, programs, and practices to give underrepresented entrepreneurs more opportunities for economic development. I think you can drive a truck through that, and, and we ought to as a city. But I would expect Darren Soldan at the, at the chamber maybe uh, Stephanie to bring some ideas forward about what, that's the usual process. You know, nothing happens. The chamber does, div- does the groundwork, the legwork for economic development proposals and vets them and then brings them to the city. They're pretty well, fo- they're formed by then. And uh, so that's what I would expect to happen here also. So the black entrepreneurs need, you know, will have to work with him if, for policy changes. Uh, but I think there's lots of room for that because we haven't been, we've just been toodling along, treating everybody alike, and that's good too. But sometimes you need to give a little leg up to get, a, get something started and be better. And it's, you know, this project is designed to create more inclusive entrepreneurship and innovation ecosystems. So uh, like I said, you could drive a truck through it. But there are two hundred cities in, in participating in this. It's a big deal. It's a small deal in Manhattan, Kansas, but when you look when you look at what the platform that the Kaufman Foundation is laying here, it's just huge. And uh, I want to be sure we do our part and uh, make it happen
0: and I guess'll kind of have, end on this last question and. Uh, uh-huh. As I'm thinking about, you know, both you and Sheila talk about this as a start. It's a start Uh towards, you know, tackling the racial wealth gap. It's a start towards more inclusive, sort of intentional focus on ways to provide maybe marginalized or groups with less of a leg up to be able to get more of that leg up as, as we've been talking. And I'm wondering maybe your thoughts on how the city can continue this type of work, ways the city can be more intentional about providing opportunities to groups like African Americans here in the city, or I mean, even other groups uh, in terms of uh, accessing more capital or perhaps just having more of a voice and more being represented more in the picture of the city of Manhattan?
2: I think it's going to have, if it's money to to entrepreneurs, it's going to have to come. The policy changes are going to have to come as a recommendation through the chamber. I don't see our current Uh, City Commission, as it's made up now, uh, moving anything diversity, equity, and inclusion forward, just because of the words. And uh, But I think there's a great possibility here, and I'm anxious for this project to succeed as a first one. And I really think if we can, if uh, this project is the kind that we can work with outside parties, And we can work with the banks and try to do what the Kauffman Foundation envisions in this community. And we can make a change here, but it won't be because of a city commission policy. It will be because we took advantage of this opportunity and we are going to the banks and saying, you know, we really need some help. And you have, you know, here are some model programs from other communities and and what can we do here? Uh, And then, you know, I think when you bring people together, magic happens. That's my little mantra. Uh, And we're bringing people together and that's what. Uh, I can do as a mayor without the full force of the city commission behind me making policies. And I don't see them there. So uh, so this is something that I could do as the mayor and the city manager supported. And actually, he did run it by the city commission. He ran the letter by them and said he was supporting this project. And they didn't uh, even blink. And because there was no money for the city, no commitment from the city. You know, it's a good, something we, something we, I I wanted something tangible. I wanted something I could touch and do. And uh, it's, you know, 15,000 isn't the most, but it's the project that's important. So...
0: Great thanks to Commissioner Morse as well as Sheila Ellis Glasper for their time this episode of Vaguely Local. If you'd like to keep up on the latest from the black entrepreneurs of the Flint Hills, check them out online at blackflinthills.com. Music in this podcast is provided by artist Blush Akimbo and you can look them up on SoundCloud, YouTube, Instagram, as well as TikTok. Further thanks to Wildcat919 for their support in carrying this podcast. I'll talk to you next time. Peace.